Hello, you're listening to Let the Bible Speak. Let the Bible Speak is the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church. Stephen Pollock is the pastor of Free Presbyterian Church of Malvern, Pennsylvania. The church is located at the junction of 401 and Mallon Road. Thank you for joining us today as Dr. Pollock opens the Word of God and lets the Bible speak. Take your Bibles, please, now, and we'll turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Remind you, this chapter is dealing, at least in part, with what it is to be a waiting church, waiting for the Lord's return. Uh, Paul encouraged the church here that they will not be surprised in the sense that the day of the Lord will not overtake them. And whilst they may not know the times or the seasons, verse number 1, yet they know the Lord is coming. And they are those who are waiting, and as they wait, they are to wait in a proper preparation. And so in light of that, we read from the verse number 6 of this chapter, he says, Therefore, let us not sleep. And therefore, of course, they are not children of the darkness, they are children of light. And therefore, let us not sleep as the others, but let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us, here of the day, be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for an helmet the hope of salvation. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together, and edify one another, even as also ye do. Uh, the Thessalonians, uh, they certainly were having some trouble with the doctrine of Christ's return. There clearly was some seeding of errors among the church with regards to Christ's return, and it was causing trouble at this point in Paul's ministry. The theme of Christ's return runs through both epistles. When you get to the second letter, it may well be the case that some in the church had stopped their employment altogether and were depending upon the church to, to meet their uh, physical needs. The idea was that they were waiting for the Lord's return. And so waiting for the Lord's return, the imminence of that return had caused them to say, well, if the Lord's going to come, there is no point and no profit in employment. In the first letter, there were those who were suffering distress with respect to the Lord's return. They were expecting the Lord's return imminently, but some had already died. As you go back to chapter 4, there was concern for those which slept. Verse number 13 says, But I would not have you be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not even as others which have no hope. Now, the idea here in that verse is that they were sorrowing. They were grieving for those who had been taken from them. And, of course, part of their concern was, well, the Lord has not yet returned. What happens to those who sleep prior to Christ's return? And Paul gives them some clear instruction that the day of the Lord will come. He will descend from heaven with a shout, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. And so there's comfort given to the uh, suffering, the sorrowing believers, that they need not fear or sorrow for their friends and families who have died, for they are not neglected in the Lord's return. In fact, when Christ returns, the dead in Christ shall rise first. 
And so there is the dignity and the honor of those who have died in the Lord. They're not forgotten, but they shall, again in verse number 17, they shall ever be with the Lord. As the dead and the alive are caught up together in the clouds with Christ as he returns at this time. Then, when you get into chapter 5, well, you will notice what happens here. Now, at the end of chapter 4, as the Lord has dealt with the issue of their sorrow, he ends the chapter with verse number 18, Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. And that ties in, of course, with verse 11 of chapter 5. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also ye do. Of course, there's no chapter division in the original letter. These things have been added to help us study the Word of God. But there must therefore be a clear thought connection between these two sections. Wherefore, comfort one another, verse 18 of chapter 4, and then verse 11, chapter 5, wherefore, comfort yourselves together. Now, what's happened in the previous verses? Well, Paul has been teaching the church that as they wait, they have put on the armor of God, part of which is the helmet, the hope of salvation. And then in light of that, he says, verse 9, For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain, yes, in the future, salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us. And here you're going to see the theme comes back, that whether we wake or sleep, and the context of sleeping there from chapter 4 is those who have died prior to Christ's return. But whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another. And so once again, Paul is speaking of comforting one another after presenting the truth of the resurrection. Chapter 4, the dead in Christ shall rise first. Chapter 5, whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. The cross work of Christ, Christ dying on the cross, has secured our final salvation that we're delivered from wrath, and those who are delivered from wrath will indeed live together with Christ forevermore. The comfort of resurrection is being used then to comfort and encourage the hearts of God's people. In both chapters, life, not death, is the eternal prospect of the saint. Life is what Christ has provided for us in the cross. And that life, if our prospect eternally is life, well, that life is in Christ's presence together with the Lord. Verse 17 of chapter 4, so shall we ever be with the Lord. And then verse 10 of chapter 5, we should live together with him. Again, it's right to point out at this time that heaven is no heaven if Christ is not there. Or heaven is Christ, and we enjoy the glories of heaven, the new heavens and the new earth. We enjoy his glories as we live in resurrected humanities with the Lord forevermore. And so in light of this, Paul uses these truths to strengthen and comfort the people, verse number 18. And then in verse number 11 of chapter 5, he tells the people to use these truths to comfort themselves. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another. And so tonight I want to look at verse number 11, thinking about the relationship between the waiting church and truth. What does truth mean to the church you're waiting for Christ's return? 
What is it to know the truth and to use that truth? Well, I have just three very simple thoughts. I'm going to give you all three because they, they will connect one after the other. First of all, I want to notice how the believer waits in Christian community. The believer waits in community. Then that community, secondly, should be well instructed in Christian doctrine. So the believer waiting community should wait in a community that is well instructed in Christian doctrine. And then thirdly, the believer benefits when the community properly uses this doctrine. So the believer in a community will benefit when the community which knows the truth will then use that truth properly. And so let's look at each of these things one after the other. First of all, note the believer waits, or, or perhaps I should say ought to wait in Christian community. You see, the doctrine of the church is vitally important when it's properly understood. Verse 11 is one of those one another verses. Edify one another. Comfort yourselves together. There's all of these verses in the New Testament. Of course, all of expressions, all of them expressions of the command for the people of Christ to love one another. These verses, all the one another verses, depend upon the concept of the church. The church, of course, not a building, but a gathering of people together. If you have no proper concept of church community, then the one another verses will mean nothing. Living in isolation renders these verses ineffectual. You cannot do one another without living in a vibrant Christian community. You see, the church is saved into community. Church is one body with one head. And we think of believers having a shared faith in Christ Jesus. There's one Savior. But the one Savior does not automatically bring us into community in a practical sense. We talk about the church invisible. And in that sense, the church is a body with Christ as the head, ruling the body, leading the body, guiding the body. But that invisible, universal church has a local expression. And it is important that those who are saved are then brought into that sense of community. You think of the Great Commission. When the Lord left this world, He told the disciples to, to go and make disciples, to teach them, to baptize them. But this issue of baptism was really the shared ordinance that brought the community together. That those who had heard the gospel, believed the gospel, were then baptized into Christ Jesus. They were then brought into that community as they had enjoyed that ordinance. You see, turn back to Acts chapter 2, please. Acts chapter 2. I'm not going to dwell here. I just want to mention this to you. I'll move on. Acts chapter 2, of course, is vitally important because it reveals to us, well, how did the disciples understand the commission? If we look back and we think of the Lord's words as He ascended to heaven, and we think of the Lord's words to, to go into all the world, and we see all of this, and we, we make up our own ideas, well, it must have meant this. But here in Acts chapter 2, well, we, we, we understand this is how the first recipients understood the commission. And so verse number 41, it says this, Then they that gladly received His word were baptized. And of course, the receiving of the word was consistent with believing the gospel. 
They, re they, were, they received the word, verse 41, they were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them by 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. So you get people, they hear the gospel, they believe the gospel, they're baptized, and they're added into a Christian community. So you've got the same down in verse number 47. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. So immediately once these new converts were professing faith in Christ Jesus, they were brought into this redemptive community. This Christian community whereby they could fellowship together, they could be taught, they could enjoy the sacraments, they could pray together. All of these things, those who were saved were immediately brought together into a Christian community. Again, these things need to be rehearsed each and every generation. We all need to remind ourselves, this is what God's will is for every believer. There's no such thing as believers living outside a redeemed community. And so the church, they're saved into this community. But secondly, they also suffer as a community. They suffer as a community. Again, back across to First uh, Thessalonians I've pointed out already that the issue here in this first letter is that there were those who were sorrowing in grief. There was concern. Sorrow not, verse 13 of chapter 4, even as others which have no hope. So whilst they were to sorrow, their sorrow was to be distinct. But death has brought separation and grief. And so when Paul refers to this matter of comfort, verse 18, wherefore comfort one another, and verse 11, wherefore comfort yourselves together, he's recognizing that there are challenges that are being faced by the church community together. Individually, they're suffering, they're sorrowing. But that experience is a shared experience. They suffer as a community now, I should point out here, the word comfort that's used in chapter 4 and chapter 5, verse 11, is a word that has the idea of encouraging and even strengthening. We might think of comfort in terms of grief and kind of imagine somebody with a, an arm around the shoulder or, or giving somebody a, a hug and encouraging them in that sense of, of sympathizing with them. Well, the idea of sympathy actually comes uh, later on in verse number 14 of chapter 5. A uh, different word is used, the same English word, comfort the feeble-minded. That word has much more to do with the idea of sympathy. The word here in chapter 4 and chapter 5, verse 11, has the idea of strengthening. And what's happening here is the believers, through their struggles and through their grief, they are experiencing some weakness. They're struggling with their Christian faith. And so they're being strengthened in truth. But again, I'm simply pointing out for now is that they are suffering as a community. You see, the Christian church suffers together. And truth is presented to a shared sorrow. We weep with those who weep. We bear one another's burdens. We, we suffer together as a community. That's how we ought to be. And so we saved, we're saved into community. We suffer as a community. And therefore we sanctify one another as a community. We sanctify one another in the sense of community. You see, being part of this waiting community... Waiting for Christ is waiting in a state of imperfection. Remember, that's what they're doing here. They're waiting to see Christ. 1 John 3 makes it clear, when we see him, we shall be like him. 
But until that point, we are not like him and we live in a state of imperfection. Hence, there is the need, verse 11 of chapter 5, there is the need for comfort, strengthening, and there is the need for edification, for a building up. We need to be strengthened in our weakness, and we need to be stabilized and built up as we deal with areas of ignorance and error. We're not perfect in our faith. We're not perfect in understanding. There are deficiencies in all of these things. And so as a community, we're sanctified together. And we can indeed sanctify one another. And so this verse 11, I believe very clearly, implies the truth of church community. That believers, as they wait for Christ's return, are not to wait in isolation on the top of some mountain, looking physically for Christ's return in isolation from the rest of this world. We are to wait in Christian community, a vibrant, living Christian community. And secondly, then, that community should be well instructed in Christian doctrine. The community that's winning together should be a community well instructed in Christian doctrine. Verse number 18 of chapter 4, Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Chapter 5, verse 11, Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another. In both occasions, it is doctrine that is the means of comfort and edification. Now, it's entirely appropriate that in the midst of our community suffering and sorrow, that we perhaps would shake someone's hand and would sympathize with them, give them a Christian hug, send them flowers or a card. All of those things are entirely appropriate. But what we're seeing here is the importance that in a church community, we are not like the world. We understand the importance of Christian doctrine as we seek to support each other in the sufferings of this world. And so this idea of doctrine being the means whereby the church comforts and edifies each other, that idea implies, first of all, that Christian doctrine is for everyone in the church. Christian doctrine is for the entire church community. One another. Comfort yourselves together. Edify one another. And if this one another is the case, then one another ought to know the truth. Christian doctrine is not just for the elders. It's not just for the seminarians. Christian doctrine is for the entire church community. Christian doctrine is for everyone. Secondly, Christian love will give a hunger for doctrine. I certainly always try to encourage young people and not so young to pursue and develop their understanding of Christian truth. And oftentimes the motivation is because of what it does for your own faith. The more you understand the truth, the deeper your roots are, and the stronger your faith is, the, the, the strengthening of your love, all of those things come as you personally benefit from deeper knowledge of Christian truth. So personal benefit is there. But it's also worth realizing that your knowledge of truth could be a vital benefit for others in the body. That your knowledge, your hunger for Christian doctrine is for the benefit of the body. Again, I think there are some, uh, there are some young men and they, uh, they, they are saved by God's grace and they, they come to enjoy reading the Puritans, they enjoy reading Christian doctrine, and they think to themselves, well, I, if I was a pastor, I could do that all the time. I could just spend all my time reading these great books. 
Uh, and then they, they enter the ministry. But they've lost the important issue that their knowledge is not just for their own benefit, it is for the serving of the body. And what's true of the pastor is also true for all of God's people, that we should seek to grow in doctrine so that we can benefit the entire body, serving one another. And so Christian love, the love for the brethren, ought to give us a hunger for Christian doctrine, a sense of, well, I, I can serve the body. I can minister to others in the body as I grow in my knowledge of God's Word. So how do we grow in doctrinal knowledge? Well, Bible study. Again, Paul, in chapter 4, he teaches the church in his own words, wherefore comfort one another with these words. So he says apostolic doctrine, that's the means whereby you comfort others. And again, he's teaching again in chapter 5, and he says, wherefore comfort yourselves together. It's the Bible, if I can broaden the horizons, it's the, the Bible that is used to comfort each other. And so sometimes again, we think of Christian doctrine as reading huge books and tomes of theology. Well, no, Christian doctrine is found in the Bible. And it's as we know the Bible that we then bring the Bible to bear, and we help the body as we grow in our understanding of God's Word. Now, if our hunger is real, how will we seek to study the Bible? We will do so personally, but we'll also use the helps of preaching and attending to preaching, and we'll use the helps of various books and other media, things that can help us to grow in our knowledge of the Word of God. But we'll be diligent and intentional. We'll say to ourselves, it is vital for the good of the body that I seek to grow in my knowledge of Christian truth. Things like the second coming and the resurrection, these things that Paul teaches here, these are things that are important for us to know and to understand. So the believer, as they wait for Christ's return, they wait in community. That community should be a well-instructed community, instructed in Christian doctrine, leading there to the fact that the believer will benefit the believer benefits when the community properly uses this doctrine. You see, what you see here in this chapter is Paul applying the truth to a particular context. And he tells the church to do likewise. He applies it, chapter 4, and he tells them to apply it to each other, chapter 4 and chapter 5. He tells the church to use the truth. They must apply truth wisely. We need wisdom here. You think of Job's friends. They understood Job's problem. They oftentimes spoke the truth, but they did not apply the truth properly to Job's problem. And they fell foul of this air of lacking wisdom when it came to counseling Job in the troubles that he encountered. And so if we're to do this wisely, we must understand the problem. We must seek to understand each other. Again, it will not be the case that each and every person will edify each and every other person. There will be individuals within the congregation that you'll particularly identify with and be able to communicate with. But as you seek to pastor and disciple others, you will do so understanding their problem. You'll seek to understand, to listen to them. That's the point. You won't jump into the solution before you understand the problem. Again, sometimes when people talk to you, you immediately get the answer first. You haven't stopped to listen to get to the core of the difficulty, and you, you jump in the solution. So you've got to understand the problem. You've got to then identify the correct truth. Apply the correct truth to the problem correctly. 
using truth wisely. Now, of course, this is a duty for pastors and elders. There are those in the church who are skilled counselors, and we praise God for that. But Paul's words here apply to the entire church. And so there are young people, and you can counsel other young people. And there are ladies, and you can counsel other ladies. There are ways in which this applies to the entire body. Because if this is God's command through Christ, wherefore comfort yourselves together and edify one another. If this is God's command, do you know what that means? He gives us the ability to obey the command. You read this and think, well, I couldn't possibly do that. Well, it's a command in Scripture. You're told as part of Christ's church to engage in this sort of behavior, to comfort and to edify each other. And if God has commanded this of you, he will give you the grace to obey the command by the power of the Spirit of God. And so, yes, you think, oh, this is, this is beyond what I could possibly ever do. Applying truth wisely. Well, with the help of the Spirit of God, this is for all of God's people. Apply truth wisely and apply truth consistently. Verse 11, even as also ye do. You see, Paul realizes the church is already doing this. He says something similar back in chapter 4 and verse number 10. And indeed ye do it towards all the brethren which are in Macedonia, but we beseech you, brethren, that ye increase more and more. This church already was a loving church. Verse 12 of chapter 3, The Lord make you to increase and abound in love one toward another. They were a church that already displayed love. They were already edifying and comforting each other. But they were to do so all the more. I suppose in essence, Christian love is having a commitment one to another that does not fail. That we constantly forgive one another. That we constantly encourage one another. That we constantly strengthen and edify one another. That it's not something we do once in our Christian experience, but we do so continually because all of us as God's people, we have these continual needs and we need the fellowship of the saints. The communion of the body, the community of the saints to help us in our Christian struggles. We are weak. We need comforted. We are ignorant at times. We need edified and built up. And may the Lord be pleased to help us as a church in these times. Let me finish with the words of one commentator. says this, In the church, the ministry of encouragement can never be left to a select few. All believers are able to do it, and all need to do it. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of Let the Bible Speak from Malvern Free Presbyterian Church. If you'd like more information about the gospel or the church, please call 610-993-3170 or email malvernfpc at yahoo.com. We extend an invitation to all to join us as we worship the Lord each week. You will be made very welcome. The church is situated at 80 Mallon Road, Malvern, Pennsylvania, at the junction of 401 and Mallon Road. We meet for worship on the Lord's Day at 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. A Bible study and prayer meeting is also held on Wednesday evening at 7 p.m. We preach Christ crucified.